<laughs> Coming from the other side of darkness, this is Holiday, and you're listening to the only podcast that calls it right down the middle, the whole reppin' show. <laughs> and now, the wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, the whole reppin' show. Body, and welcome to another episode of the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, the whole ref and show. My name is Perry Smith. And my name is Darren Beasley. On today's episode, which just so happens to be the 69th episode, is that accurate? 69, dude! Oh no, that's a sexy episode. Uh, or vulgar, uh, disgusting, <laughs> lustful, no love involved no, at all episode. No, 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 no. Sexy. Sexy. Okay, okay, okay. There we go. Uh, episode 69, believe it or not, we're talking about wrestling on today's episode, folks. Uh, we got uh, quite a few updates, uh, mostly from WWE. Some injury updates. Uh, we got a Royal Rumble update uh, for our contest, our official second annual Royal Rumble contest. Uh, also, a little bit of news about Raw's 25th anniversary episode, which is rapidly approaching. And apparently, Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks and some other folks from the Bullet Club are going, quote-unquote, hashtag, all-in 2018. We're going to tell you what that's all about on today's episode. We're also, of course, going to attack the Tyrannosaurus Rex <laughs> that is Wrestle Kingdom 12, New Japan Pro Wrestling. It is a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I can't think of a better way to describe Japanese humans wrestling. Yes. That dinosaur. Right. An extinct, terrible lizard from uh, the Jurassic period. Um, is it? Is it actually from the Jurassic period? Was Jurassic Park one giant misnomer, like hashtag fake news, like uh, hashtag uh, revisionist history? Or dinosaurs actually from the Jurassic period? I think one of the big uh, arguments about Jurassic Park was, oh, a, a T-Rex could never run that fast. Like, it was one of the, <laughs> it was like, these nitpicking people. Uh, right, but did they at least get the period, the epoch correct? I hope so. Michael Crichton, he, I hope he did his homework. He, he read some books before he wrote that book, right? Well, I mean, I don't know how many books Michael Crichton has read. Right. I know he's written he's he's written quite a few. He's written quite a few. <laughs> right. Uh, well, he also wrote Congo, and I'm pretty sure monkeys can't use you know laser guns. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. May, maybe. But Tim Curry can. Tim Curry can. Uh, the story of the diamonds was absolutely true. Uh, why did Tim Curry do Congo? Uh, money, Darren. That answer that you hate. Money. I hate that answer. I know. You walk right into that one. I want to talk about being a tortured, starving, purist artist, man. Well, before we can talk about you being a tortured, starving, purist artist and the quote-unquote dinosaur, uh, that is Wrestle Kingdom 12. First, we got to tackle some of those. Headlines. The whole Reffin Show's second annual Royal Rumble contest. Uh, we got some updates with that one. We are extending the deadline to January 20th 
January 20th, 12 noon Eastern Standard Time, folks. Give you some extra days because this episode is a little late. Oh, I was going to ask you, why are we doing that, Perry? Oh, because we were late. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's this is okay. This this is okay, and, and you'll be okay, but... Uh, just because we're extending the deadline doesn't mean wait until the last minute, folks. Get those entries in, of course, to the whole ref and show. Send us a Gmail at the whole ref and show at gmail.com. T H E W H O L E R E F N S H O W at gmail.com. Subject Royal Rumble Contest. We'll need your name, social media handle, brief introduction, where you're from. A picture would be nice. And do it now. Uh, do it now. Um, so yeah, basically we'll get 30 people involved in this, 30 of you dear listeners involved, and you will each be assigned a number on the 26th of January's episode of The Whole Reference Show, that's the episode going into Royal Rumble Weekend, and uh, basically you'll be number 1 through 30. The wrestlers involved in the actual Rumble do represent your number, like, you know, John Cena's number 1 and you drew number 1. You are John Cena. If John Cena goes to the very end and he wins the thing, number one wins. That whole deal. Uh, that's pretty much. It's pretty cut and dry. I think how the Rumble contest works by now, right, Darren? Absolutely. Thank you, Darren. Um, so yeah, deadline extended to the twentieth. Give you guys a little bit more time to get those uh, submissions in there, but please do it sooner, not later, as Rhino would tell you in the old ECW days, back when Rhino was allowed to be Rhino. Um, <laughs> some good times. Back before he was a cheese whiz, snacking, uh, standing around Goomba. Right. I still a uh, full blown ass kicker. I still like that Rhino. You like Rhino fought Samoa Joe on Raw recently, and it was like, man, if this were the Rhino of old, this would have been like a a, a a slobber knocker. But you know, I don't understand that. I don't understand why WWE does that. It's like if you're older than like five minutes, but you're not like that upper upper echelon, that you automatically become either a comedy gimmick or like comic relief or something. And I don't understand that. Rhino has the ability and the like appearance he should be like in my mind he's on the level with Samoa Joe right you could turn that into a like that doesn't need to be a squash match or a or a you know an also ran match or a filler match that is like that could be a program to me that to me that that's like bringing Kane in to fight Braun Strowman you know bringing a monster to fight a monster I think Rhino is is comparable to Samoa Joe Rhino's a multiple-time champion. I completely, completely agree. Yeah, and, uh, well, speaking of Raw, uh, Raw's 25th episode, and 25th episode, (laughs) 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 25th anniversary is rapidly approaching. uh, I guess it's going to happen before uh, Royal Rumble goes down. Um, So we'll see more of these people that that you're going to recognize from, I guess, Raw over the entire 25-year course. I know The Undertaker's supposed to make an appearance. I'm sure John Cena will show up. Who else do you think is going to show up on the 25th anniversary episode? Well, I think you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to see, like, Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure Shawn Michaels. Almost definitely you, you, you can bet on seeing Mick Foley. They'll probably cart out Bret Hart. They'll cart um, out. <laughs> I, uh, I think, you know, if it's <laughs> If Shawn Michaels is there, I, they'll probably do a DX thing. 
they probably won't just do uh, Shawn Michaels by himself because Shawn Michaels all by himself, not uh, with, without any real direction, is kind of nothing at this point because he's he's become so bland as a human being. So I think they'll need to slap some of that like lime green paint on him right. and put hundred X to him, and uh, and that way he'll have a he'll have a personality again. Now Shawn but, Michaels, Shawn Michaels has bettered his life through Jesus Christ, but you, you say this makes him a bland human being. Uh, well, it does, and and that's not a criticism of his religion, and I really do mean that. But, I'm kidding, Darren. I'm well, kidding. Calm no, down. But that's a uh, okay. I, all right. I take it as a joke, but I, uh, but that's the thing that other people do say. I mean, that's a reality, but my reality is that I'm not being critical of his, of his personal life or any of that, but, uh, it doesn't deny, uh, there is no denying that it has changed him for the worse as a performer, as an entertainer, and, not a performer, I will say, because he can't well, be, he can't enough. be, he can't be sexy boy, Shawn Michaels. He can't be DX crotch chopping. I mean, the, like the guy who basically, like they were the poster children for the Attitude Era, you know, before Stone Cold hit the level of Stone Cold Heights, it was DX. Like nothing was raunchier or dirtier than DX. Yeah, 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 yeah. I um, one thing I really hope though is, uh, you know, the show is coming. It's going to be a three-hour Raw as usual. Two hours are going to be from Barclays Center. One hour from the Manhattan Center, um, and Manhattan Center, which was the original home of Raw. So I'm, I hope that in a, like a nod to that, maybe we'll see like Paul and Nash and maybe uh, Sean Waltman. We'll see some of those people that were big in that early, early, early Raw era. Um, obviously, too many people have passed away that were a big part of that uh, era, and that and that's too bad. Um, but I uh, I hope maybe also because of the Manhattan Center uh, being a part of it, that Paul Heyman uh, at least has a nod to his ECW days. And maybe we'll see some ECW people, who knows, at least a reference to uh, the ECW invasion from back then. Um, and then I think you can't have a raw 25th anniversary without acknowledging very heavily the Monday Night Wars and Monday Nitro, its great and worthy opponent. So I think if you're going to do that, you need to have like uh, maybe Holland Nash or Bischoff. Yeah, I, I, um, maybe Bischoff would show up at some point. You know, and then even if they didn't want to talk about Nitro, if they didn't want to make a point of acknowledging that era of Raw, well, guess what? Eric Bischoff used to be the GM of Raw after the you know after the Monday Night Wars, so they could have Bischoff on for for that thing. But um, anyway, we'll see. I, I'm anxious to see what an Undertaker appearance is like post-WrestleMania 33. Now, if there weren't these weird rumors about Undertaker actually coming back to wrestle at WrestleMania 34, I'd be really, really interested to see what Undertaker would be like uh, in this maybe retired uh, version of The Undertaker. But... Now, with the possibility that his appearance at the uh, 25th anniversary show is going to be the kickoff of an angle that will culminate in a match at WrestleMania 34, well, that just screws the pooch. That changes the whole script. Yeah, it really does. It's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like when they killed off Agent Coulson in Avengers, and then he got his own TV show. It was kind of like, well, 
All right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the plan right now, and I, I don't want to harp on this because I could I could harp on this for a long time. But the plan right now is Taker versus John Cena at WrestleMania 34, and no one wants to see that. The only no person one. who wants to see that is Mark Calloway, the Undertaker himself. And I don't understand that. Why does he want that match? What does that match mean to to Mark Calloway? Uh, it's it's a passing of the torch, which wasn't him losing to Roman Reigns. A passing of the torch. I, I don't know. I don't. I just can't pass the torch. Cena. I How mean, many torches do you have, Mark? <laughs> well, not only that, but at this point, if you think about it, like Cena is has now been. I mean, God, like we're talking about almost three decades of an Undertaker career. Two of those decades, John Cena has been there. Right. Like, John Cena is anything but a new kid on the block at this point. That would be, I mean, that, it's just a little ridiculous. It really is a little ridiculous. That would have been like at WrestleMania 3, Andre the Giant passing the torch to Big John Stud or something. Like, <laughs> Which he should have, rightfully. You know, um, or pass the torch to, like, Harley Race. It's like, no. No, you can't pass the torch to a contemporary, you know, and, and at this point, as Undertaker will always be in my all-time top five, always. Uh, I could live for another 50 years, and I could watch wrestling for another 50 years, and have 50 years worth of new wrestlers. No one's ever going to, there's not going to be enough people to go in there and squeeze Taker out of my top five. But do I want to see him wrestle anymore? Absolutely not. Right. Well, I mean, it's it it does kind of, and we'll wrap this up because we could. This could be the whole episode if we if we let it get away from us. It it's maybe not so much passing the torch as it is someone comparable to like take him out, basically the same way that you know Flair wanted Michaels to retire him, Michaels wanted Taker to retire him. So I guess not a lot of the old timers, quote unquote, still wrestle, and it. I, I guess it's better than having Triple H take out Taker. Um, so I guess you have Cena go over on Taker. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's his prerogative, whatever Taker wants to do, you know, obviously you got to go with it, but at the same time, what take a one, <laughs> take again. this is uh this is accurate. Uh, step back for a moment, uh, to the Samoa Joe Rhino match, because I forgot to mention that, uh, Samoa Joe actually sustained an injury during this match. He actually uh, hurt his foot while wrestling Rhino. Uh, I don't think it was anything Rhino did. I, I think maybe Samoa Joe just landed on it kind of weird. Um, yeah, so am I correct? This They, they said that it was plantar fasciitis. Ah, uh, yes. Which, is that what it is? Is that the injury? I kept seeing, like, plantar fasciitis rupture Yeah. Uh, in the news, like, I didn't realize that that was something that could rupture, but like uh, my brother, actually, my younger brother had plantar fasciitis surgery one time to remove um, like a really large growth in the under, like the sole of his foot. And it seems like that's what Joe was already experiencing and maybe planting wrong or landing wrong. He did something to actually rupture the the growth, right? Like, 
Is that is that the case? Did I read that right? I, I think that's what I read as well. Um, e- either way, I mean, it's Joe Joe who just sustained a very long injury uh, for quite a while. They bring him back and kind of put him right back into action. They build him up for you know big feuds, and then here we go again, right back at it. Another injury. Joe is making all these all these threats and, and claims, and now he he announced he was going to be in the Royal Rumble. And now he is not going to be able to. But don't worry, Joe. You can still join the second annual, the whole ref and show, Royal Rumble. <laughs> Just send us Gmail at the whole ref and show at gmail.com. You get the idea. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel bad. Wouldn't that be funny if, like, Samoa Joe got, like, Rhino's number? And, like, <laughs> I'm, not that Rhino is going to win the Royal Rumble. But, right. Or even be uh, in it, uh, conceivably. That's true. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's say he gets. Uh, John Cena's number. Okay. okay. Uh, of course, I got to know. Now that I'm saying that, I guess John Cena, if he's going to fight The Undertaker, John Cena's not going to – he's not going to win the Rumble. Right. That's true. Because they, unless they, you know, unless they pull a Goldberg-Lesnar on us and just shoehorn a bunch of weird title reigns in just to create, uh, <laughs> create a, a random title match out of the ether – which <laughs> right. I would not put WWE past doing exactly that. I would I would not. But anyway, yeah, hopefully Samoa Joe will enter our Royal Rumble. <laughs> he can no longer enter the WWE. That's Royal better. Rumble. Winning that is better than winning the actual Royal Rumble, folks. I don't think people know that. You know, Joe, you, there's still hope for you, Joe. But anyway, obviously we want Joe to, to get better and come back because... He he is he is such a a great competitor and a great entertainer. He's very different from the typical person on Raw, and man, he's got ability. Um, so and he can talk. I mean, it, it's hard to find quote unquote a monster who can also talk. And and Smojo's very eloquent. Um, he has those honeyed words. Um, <laughs> so Samoa Joe, get well soon, come back. Now, someone else who was injured recently might not be making a return to the wrestling ring uh, ever again, as far as WWE and, is concerned. And that is devastating. This is this is devastating news. Yeah, this is pretty bad. Uh, Paige. Uh, Paige, who'd been gone for a very, very long time. Uh, injury-wise, uh, Alberto uh, Del Rio slash El Patron-wise. Um, made her come back, uh, what, two, maybe more months ago uh, with Absolution, and uh, she sustained an injury while at a house show uh, wrestling Sasha Banks. She actually suffered a a stinger uh, either in her neck or the back of her head, but it's bad enough that they're saying WWE might not clear her to wrestle ever again. Same situation with, like, Edge or uh, Daniel Bryan, where it's kind of like, you know, if if we let them wrestle and it gets worse, they'll point a finger at us and say it's because you let them wrestle and we're not going to have that happen. Oh, yeah. And this is, like I said, this is really, really devastating. This is a very young woman. Like, she's now a, uh, a veteran of pro wrestling of many, many years. And hell, at this point, she's a WWE veteran, and yet she's probably younger than 80% of the other women on the roster. And, you know, this is a young woman who, by all means, should have had one of the great WWE wrestling careers for either gender, and certainly for a woman. And, you know, this current atmosphere for women and women's wrestling 
I mean, it, it was made for a talent like that of Paige. And I really think it's a shame. She can talk. She can walk. She can wrestle. She, she has the... She has all the tools in her toolbox, and this is no good. This is really a drag. I, uh, I, I have noticed that all of her social media, ever since the injury, has paid zero, zero attention to the injury or to any discussion of retirement. Um, and so that's a little peculiar. Right. Uh, but at the same time, uh, she was almost her social media became radio silent during all of the time with uh, that she spent with Alberto El Patron. It, it was as if her social media is a completely different entity than her real life. It's all I feel that's that the, that's the case with most uh, social media superstars. Uh, fair, fair enough. But if you at least there, there, something's going on in the background most of the time. I mean, staying on topic, staying in the, in this group. If you look at, you know, you and I had frequently made comments in the past about Mandy Rose and about uh, <laughs> Sonya Deville and how if you watch them on social media, all they did was go out for donuts and eat cereal in the wee hours of the morning while, you know, Netflix and chilling. Right. And it's like, that's cool. Um that's not like either one of your characters, but whatever, because at least there was still that vibe of, you know, they, they did include, okay, here we are in, you know, Ocala, or here we are in Fort Pierce getting ready to wrestle. Whereas Paige, if you watch Paige's social media, you might not even have any awareness that she is a wrestler. And, and that to me is a little strange. Right. And um, in light of this injury, the fact that, it's like, nope, just still out clubbing, just still out clubbing. <laughs> not, that you, you know, not that you can't go to a nightclub when you have an injury, right. but it's just bizarre. It's really bizarre. It's almost, it is, like I said, it's almost like it's two different people. Absolutely, yeah. Well, bad news for Paige. Obviously, we hope that this is maybe news kind of getting ahead of itself, and they're going to basically, they're calling it the, the way it looks. Uh, hopefully, her situation improves somehow. Because uh, Paige is very young, and uh, obviously she is a talent we'd like to see in the ring. It'd be nice if she stuck around as a manager for Absolution or kept up appearances somehow. Uh, either way, uh, but speaking of women wrestling, uh, Candice LeRae recently signed to NXT. That's very all cool. Right. We got to see what Candice LeRae was all about on the uh, the May Young Classic. Uh, she got pretty far uh, in the tournament, so you got to see it. you got to see a good bit of Candice LeRae wrestle. Um, She's very talented. She's very known in the independent circuit. Everyone knows Candice LeRae. Everyone respects her, especially the women wrestlers. They really look up to her. And it's cool that she's finally getting that that call up to NXT. And I'm glad that she was able to to impress people to be like, you know what? She needs to make more money, more consistent money, <laughs> and she needs more more eyes on her. So good for you, Candice LeRae. Yeah, Candice LeRae is, is a very, very uh, hot prospect. Um, not new, not new to the game. You know, she is a multi-year veteran. She's driven the roads bare. Like this, this girl has traveled. She has hit all the indie territories. Um, you know, she's one half of world's cutest tag team along with Joey Ryan. She is a very well-respected 
veteran of uh, the squared circle, both in terms of women's wrestling as well as intergender matches, which are far more common on the independent scene than they are in uh, WWE or uh, Impact, ROH, or New Japan. You're much more likely to see those intergender matches uh, along the lines of something like PWG or Fest Wrestling, Wrestle Circus. And uh, that's where you'll see Candice LeRae. We, that's where we saw Candice LeRae in person at Fest Wrestling. And uh, Candice LeRae also, um, <laughs> outside of all of her time spent in the ring, uh, she is constantly around wrestling as she is married to Johnny Wrestling, uh, the wife of Johnny Gargano. I know that it's probably pretty cool for them as a couple to become an NXT power couple. Right now, I'm sure they're living in Orlando and making the most out of that. Now, both of them having uh, careers close to home, uh, work just down the street instead of work all over the world constantly. Now they can drive to work together, the performance center. They can drive to that's, house shows together. That's lovely. I know a lot of people are kind of like, oh, oh, because she's married to Johnny Gargano, that's why she's getting all this attention. And I'll go ahead and I'll 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 squash that rumor right now. That that woman is talented, uh, with or without her husband being Johnny Gargano. So y'all need chill. Y'all need to chill out. <laughs> is what that is. Um, <laughs> moving on from NXT and the world of WWE. Uh, moving on from any professional quote unquote uh, uh, televised wrestling. Apparently, Cody Rhodes, the Bullet Club, the Young Bucks, they're going all in 2018. And uh, for a while, no one really knew what that meant. It was a hashtag that showed up on social media. Uh, but now we find out that All In is a self-financed indie show uh, brought on by Cody, a.k.a. Cody Rhodes, and the Young Bucks. So, of course, all the Bullet Club folks are going to join in on that one. But it's scheduled to go down September 1st, uh, 2018. So it's not going to come for quite a while. But uh, it's boasting 10,000 seats which is a pretty big indie show, uh, but yeah, fully financed by the wrestlers themselves, which is obviously unheard of. Yes, it absolutely is. This is—I uh, don't know what you would—I don't know what you would put this up uh, as. Is this—is this like um, a whole new level, like uh, of indie wrestling? Is this going to be a new style of indie wrestling? Is this like a sort of uh, GoFundMe type? Uh, take on wrestling is this you know a kickstarter take on wrestling um i don't know this is i guess this is the truly the ultimate in diy this could totally redefine what independent wrestling is you take uh people who are uh independent uh talents that are uh true independent contractors in the actual real sense of that word who may have the money uh, and put their money where their mouth is, literally. And the Bullet Club loves to run their mouth, uh, whether they're in character or they're, uh, they're talk and shoot. They, uh, they love to put themselves over. And just the way that a, you know, a wealthy, uh, famous actor will become the executive producer on his or her uh, own project, this seems like what uh, the club, the Bullet Club, might be doing. Right, cutting out a promoter altogether, but I, I wonder if it's like you know we'll we'll book all the talent, we'll actually count all the money once it gets to the door, and then we'll divvy up who gets what. 
um, is, is kind of what it seems like to me. Um, huh? I don't know. I mean, I, you have to wonder what type of management scheme is involved. I mean, I know more, more and more wrestlers, especially those wrestlers who are uh, starting to cross over into Hollywood here and there, are every one of them are acquiring agents these days. And that's something wrestlers never did before. In fact, you know, Jesse Ventura and Terry Funk famously were some of the first pro wrestlers to ever have legitimate, like, business managers on their side, on their payroll or whatever. And, of course, this would become more common as certain figures moved to Hollywood, like Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan. And, you know, I, I know that Mick Foley eventually had representation, like, uh, and, and The Rock. And now I think it's happening more and more. Uh, but I'm curious if Cody, if Cody himself has, like, management, has, like, proper, like, Hollywood-style management here. Because I know long before Cody ever entered a wrestling ring, his dream was not to wrestle. His dream was to be an actor in Hollywood. And so at least, you know, part of his mind has always been in that realm. Does he use that aspect of, uh, of uh, that type of performing career? I don't know. I don't know what... Uh, it seems like the Young Bucks are very, very business-minded, but is that because they have a business professional on their side? The, the, you know? This may have this may have uh, stemmed from them getting merchandise put in like Hot Topic. And they kind of realized, like, well, if we can do that on our own, maybe we can do a lot of things on our own. Like instead of getting a promoter to open, like you know, to do a business, and how about we just do a one-off show in a big arena? Filling ten thousand seats, though, that might be a little difficult. I, I will say that for 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 those guys. It depends on what the rest of the card is like. Right. If they have, if they have just a sort of average indie card, are you saying Glacier is not going to help them fill ten thousand seat arena? I'm saying Glacier will not put a single butt in a seat. <laughs> I'm saying that Glacier may actually cost them a few bucks. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm going to say this right now: if they held this show. In my backyard, and Glacier was on the card, I would not attend. Right. I would actively dissuade people from attending. <laughs> so, yes, that's what I'm saying. Fair enough. Uh, I'm sort of think you don't like Glacier. Uh, anyway. Not a fan. Not a fan. It's okay. No one is. But uh, that's going to do. <laughs> so, some of the folks we're talking about right now, Cody, the Young Bucks, uh, members of. Uh, Bullet Club, they were overseas in Japan wrestling at New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom 12. This was an amazing event. A lot of great competition, a lot of great wrestling going on. A lot of title belts held <laughs> and uh, contended for. And uh, we're going to talk all about it. Sound good to you, Darren? That sounds like exactly what I want to do right now. New Japan Pro Wrestling brought us Wrestle Kingdom 12 on the 4th of January 2018 in the middle of the night. <laughs> That's right. New Japan, of course, they're going to put the show on at the Tokyo Dome in Tokyo, Japan 
for us Gaijin that want to watch it live, we got to watch it in the middle of the night like a bunch of dunderheads. Right. But um, Well, in, in the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep. But some you, people, <laughs> some people thank, go watch New Japan. Joel. Thank you. Thank you. Here comes Billy Joel. <laughs> uh, on this night, on in this middle of the night, which really I think kind of adds to the to the specialness. Uh, um, something weird about watching wrestling in the middle of the night. Um, it reminds me <laughs> of watching the the first ever pay per view I saw in my lifetime was WrestleMania three, and even though it wasn't in the middle of the night. For a seven-year-old, which actually I would have been six years old at the time, I hadn't turned seven yet, for a six-year-old, that was the middle of the night. I think a lot of middle-of-the-night program is kind of weird, especially, like, when we were kids. Like, it's, like, infomercials and, like, those, like, those very culty shows would come on, you know? Or, like, for some reason you said it, and I was like, it's like waiting until, like, Cinemax starts playing, like, those, <laughs> those like, soft core B movies. You know what I mean? Like it kind of is that. Like Shannon Tweed movies? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I've never seen before. Uh ever. So oh man, and USA Up All Night. That's the one I couldn't think of. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one too. Rhonda Shear and Gilbert Gottfried. Like, oh my God. Yeah. So Cowboy Joe Briggs, is that one? Isn't that he isn't he one? There's like a, a cowboy guy or something like that. Yeah, but that wasn't I don't he wasn't USA up all night, was he? I think he was a TNT guy. He had some sort of program. Like like he'd play like Godzilla movies and stuff like that. So anyway. On USA? Maybe. I don't I was I was a kid again. I know he did some stuff on TNT. And uh yeah, that's weird. Remember Duckman? Oh, yeah, yeah. How weird is that, Jay- that Jason Alexander joint? I sold someone Duckman Season 2 uh, a month ago at my parents' pawn shop, <laughs> Darren. <laughs> well. He bought it, and I was like, are you sure you want this? And he was like, oh, no, I remember the show. The show was great. And I was like, okay, good. <laughs> it was Jason Alexander, wasn't it? <laughs> it was Jason Alexander, yes. This show was great. I, wait a minute. A month ago, that would have been the Christmas season. You know Jason Alexander is the reason for the season. I've right? heard, I've heard, did I've been told. Did you remind him that he was the reason? I did. Good. I'm glad you sold him a 25-year-old cartoon starring himself. <laughs> um, all right, so in Tokyo, in the middle of the night, no Bill, Billy Joel was not there, Jason Alexander was not there, Rhonda Shear was not there. But a ton of the world's hottest talent, both in terms of Japanese wrestling and some of the biggest names from around the world, Americans, Canadians, Brits, Mexicans, all appear in the Tokyo Dome on this night. And it was a killer show. If you watched it on New Japan World, you got English commentary with Kevin Kelly and Don Callis. If you watched it for free on YouTube, uh, you got the Japanese commentary and didn't know what was going on for the most part. Oh, that's a drag. That is a drag, I have to say. Well, the show started off with a pre-show because much like WWE, New Japan now has to have overly long shows and a pre-show on top of that. The the interesting thing about the (laughs) New Japan Wrestle Kingdom pre-show 
is much like Wrestle Kingdom 11 last year. It consists simply of the New Japan Rumble. So it's almost like having WrestleMania open with the Royal Rumble. So that's kind of neat. Um, and what the New Japan Rumble does is kind of give you some of those international stars you might not be able to figure into a feud in time to come up to have a, like a, a singles match at Wrestle Kingdom. It also includes uh, a lot of those oddity wrestlers, like we're, let's say WWE might include. Like Kurgan uh, and Golga and... Uh... <laughs> Precisely, actually, okay. kind of, kind of exactly like that. Okay. Um, and then also, this is uh, this is a, uh, a uh, an arena for New Japan to bring some of the the old school talent out, and that's just what they do. So let's get into the Rumble. It is uh, unlike the Royal Rumble, which is strictly over the top elimination. The New Japan Rumble also allows pinfall, so there's two ways to lose this match. Now, what we'll do is I'm going to go ahead and give you the uh, entrance uh, in the order that they came out. I'm going to go ahead and go through the entire match, everybody that was in the match, and then we'll talk a little bit about what went down in the match. Starting off, uh, the very first man we have in the match is Katsuya Kitamura. This is a huge, muscular dude. This looks like a Japanese version of Mason Ryan or Dave Batista. This guy is, is kind of a monster. And in the black trunks and black boots, I can only imagine this dude is what they call a young lion or a young boy. I'm not sure if New Japan is phasing out the term young boy or not. Uh, I know that on this night, uh, both Kevin Kelly and Don Callis constantly referred to the young talent at ringside as young lions. And then on New Year's Dash, the day following Wrestle Kingdom, they kept talking about the young lions. So maybe the term young boy is being phased out uh, with young lion becoming the alternative, but I'm pretty sure I'll, I will always say young boy. But uh, anyway, so Kitamura in the young boy gear, I'm not sure if he is a young boy who uh, has not made his excursion yet, which for those of you who may not be familiar with how new Japan works and a lot of Japanese wrestling you start off as what's called a young boy or a young lion wrestling in the dojo. You get all your training there, and you kind of are like, you know, you you clean the mats after practice, you set up the mats in the morning, and you actually cook all the meals at the dojo for the veterans. You get all your learning that way. And then you all experience what's called an excursion. If you're trained in the New Japan Dojo or other dojos uh, that, that teach pro wrestling in Japan, you go on an excursion, which means you go out, you leave Japan, and you go somewhere in the world uh, to to sort of hone your craft. As we've mentioned on this show before, Tetsuya Naito of LIJ, Los Ingobernables de Japón, that, that was his excursion. His excursion was to uh, AAA CMLL in Mexico, and that's where Naito was able to make a name for himself. His excursion was like the best possible scenario for a Japanese wrestler. So he came home already a superstar. But the idea is that these go these guys go out, they find themselves, they experience other styles, they experience other business styles. They come back to Japan and then they start building toward uh, the career of a superstar. And um, and, and that's, that works out to different levels for different people. But anyway, so Kitamura, first entrant in the Rumble. Next, Bushi of LIJ is in the match. Delirious uh, Gaijin 
in this in this match, a masked Gaijin wrestling barefoot. I've seen Delirious before. I don't really know that much about him. You know anything about Delirious? Uh, wasn't he a John Candy movie? No. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was a John Candy movie. Okay. Next, uh, next in the New Japan Rumble, we have Leo Tonga. Apparently, he is another son of Haku. My so, God, that guy got around. <laughs> so eventually, I guess Leo will become a gorilla of destiny. This dude is six foot ten. So. Unlike his father and his brothers, Leo Tonga is huge. So now add to the, the all the, the, the great dynasty of Polynesian wrestlers. Now we have a Polynesian giant, a legit giant from the islands. And uh, he's, a, he's a young boy to be sure. So we'll see what comes. I'm excited to see what happens with Leo Tonga. Next, we have... All you need is for Vince McMahon to look at him, and then he'll have a job at WWE. I guarantee it. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, Next, we have Manabu Nakanishi. This is the man, a former Olympian, former IWGP champion. Uh, He's the dude that always wears the Monster Morning uh, powerlifting shirt. He's a vet uh, that's pretty intimidating. Chase Owens. Chase Owens, another gaijin who comes out. And uh, he, uh, they keep referring to him as an honorary Tongan, even though he is clearly a white man. And uh, so that's interesting. <laughs> He's got street cred, basically, is what they're trying to say. There we go. There we go. Uh, Yuji Nagata. Yuji Nagata, uh, in, uh, IWGP uh, veteran, uh, in, uh, New Japan veteran, uh, WCW Monday Nitro veteran. Yeah, that's right. You can find him in some of those old 64 games. Takamichi Noku. Takamichi Noku, who is um, a member of Suzuki Goon, former member of Kayentai in his WWE years. Also, we have Yoshinobu Kanemaru. He is your many time, many, many time Noah, pro wrestling Noah Jr. heavyweight champion. El Desperado is also in this match. Jushin Thunder Liger. Yes. Boy, the Tokyo Dome pops when Liger comes out. Tiger Mask 4, right here. We are in the stretch. We are in the stretch of nostalgia, that's for sure. But then, Juicy Gino Gambino. And uh, I've never heard of this guy before. But here he is. This dude is, uh, I don't know. I'll talk about Juicy Gino Gambino some more later, uh, if you're lucky. Uh, Toa Hanare comes out. He is a New, uh, New Zealand Maori. Uh, he is a former rugby player. Yoshihashi uh, of Chaos comes out. David Finlay, the son of Dave Finlay, a.k.a. Fit Finlay, comes out. Yujiro Takahashi of the Tokyo Pimps. And I guess maybe he's still a part of the Bullet Club. Uh, he comes out with his bunny rabbit valet, uh, who is quite a spectacle. Uh, cheeseburger! Cheeseburger. Everybody cheeseburger. And Cheeseburger is out. Satoshi Kojima, a seven-time IWGP Tag Team Champion. And then Hiroyoshi Tenzan, four-time IWGP Heavyweight Champion, 12-time IWGP Tag Team Champion, and one-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion. That's right, Hiroyoshi Tenzan, the most decorated man that's going to appear at Wrestle Kingdom 12 
with maybe the exception of Chris Jericho. So Tenzan is uh, a major, major legacy in Japanese wrestling, and here he is, the next-to-last entrant here in the New Japan Rumble, the last entrant being Masahito Kakihara. And this was a gentleman who fought in New Japan. He also fought in the UWF, which was a Japanese uh, shoot pro wrestling organization, sort of uh, the type of wrestling organization that's, I guess, in retrospect, we now refer to it as, like, proto-MMA. Like, this was the predecessor to uh, MMA. Uh, this exists, UWF, in existence before UFC or before Pride um, or K1 or any of that. And um, UWF, notorious for being predetermined outcomes, but otherwise shoot fighting? I don't know. That seems risky. Um, <laughs> but Masahito Kakihara was a star of UWF and New Japan but um, most recently famous for making a miraculous recovery from a malignant lymphoma, which threatened his life. And he not only defeated the disease, but has undertaken a return to the pro wrestling ring. So congratulations to him on his recovery. That's pretty great. Um, all right. So uh, the match has started. Chase Owens uh, eliminates Delirious and Kitamura, both with a package pile driver. And that move, it was, like, super tight, super gnarly, but, like, super tight. It looked like video game execution. And uh, at one point, Owens finds himself, uh, like, completely alone as people are getting eliminated left and right. Takamichinoku comes out, and then three straight members of Suzuki-Goon, which is, of course, the faction led by Minoru Suzuki. Very quickly, uh, Takamichi Noku, I like that you, you he is mentioned every now and again, you know, in passing. He is not so much endured uh, here in the States so much as the Michinoku driver is used by half of the people that wrestle nowadays. And it's it's called the Michinoku driver, so I appreciate that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, here in the New Japan Rumble, Taka is joined by all uh, of his pals in Suzuki-gun. They eliminate Chase Owens. Uh, Liger, Jushin Thunder Liger and Tiger Mask, they fight off Suzuki-Goon. And uh, Suzuki-Goon, their entire purpose, once they get Tiger and Liger in the ring, seems to be uh, to unmask the legends. And uh, what ends up happening is Tiger Mask and El Desperado actually both lose their masks in this struggle. Uh, and the whole, you know, their whole purpose at that point becomes to cover their faces, so they're pretty easily eliminated um this is the first time that you'll hear callus and kelly refer to the crowd uh but it will not be the last they will remind us many many times that this is the largest tokyo dome crowd in 15 years so very very proud of the numbers that uh wrestle kingdom 12 was able to draw both from a japanese audience and people buying international plane tickets to be there live at the tokyo dome not to mention the fact that uh, sales of subscriptions to New Japan World apparently went through the roof. And uh, so not only is New Japan getting ultra hot, uh, there's no denying that the Jericho Omega match brought a lot of international attention to this show. But uh, as the uh, rumble goes on, at one point, uh, the wrestlers, the only wrestlers in the ring are Hanari and Gambino representing Australia 
and New Zealand, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, Dave Finley, David Finley looks really, really good in this match. Like, I'm digging his look, his ability. Uh, I'm anxious to see when David Finley, if and when he leaves Japan, where his career trajectory takes him. Uh, Takahashi clears Finley, and uh, he ends up alone. And uh, <laughs> he ends up actually getting out of the ring and dancing with his bunny rabbit valet. Uh, I would. Cheeseburger. Cheeseburger comes out, one of the biggest pops. I don't understand, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, people love him. Japanese crowd really Cheeseburger-san! Uh, yeah, exactly. So at one point, it's Kojima and Tenzan, who, like I said, you're talking about together, they were the many, many time IWGP tag champions, and individually, huge careers, Kojima and Tenzan. And yet they are eliminated by Cheeseburger and Masahito <laughs> Kakihara, who, you know, bless him and his miraculous recovery, but he's a third the size that he used to be. And so he's basically Cheeseburger's size. And they're eliminating two of the biggest Japanese wrestling superstars of all time. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so it ended up just being Kakihara. And Cheeseburger left in the match. I just like hearing and you say these words. Kakihara pins Cheeseburger for the win. Oh, man. How'd so, Cheeseburger lose? Man. Uh, interesting to see a rumble match of any kind end with a pinfall. Uh, but it does. And it was kind of heartwarming to uh, the, the speech that comes from Kakihara as he thanked everyone for the support uh, through his illness. And uh, so that's a pretty great moment there. But after the Rumble is over, it's the show proper. Wrestle Kingdom 12 begins in earnest, and it begins with a pop, as has become the tradition at Wrestle Kingdom. New Japan puts the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Titles up first. And your champions, Roppongi 3K, Show and Yo, formerly known as the Tempura Boys. Ah, yes. They are now managed by Rocky Romero, which I guess, of course, brings the Rapongi into play. Well, they're going to take on Matt and Nick Jackson, those notorious young bucks, those infamous members of the elite, the Bullet Club. The young bucks are going to strive to capture the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Titles in this match for the seventh time. Show and Yo, like I said, uh, are your champions, and they are with Rocky Romero. Rocky Romero, I don't know, he looks like one of the Usos dressed up as a Ghostbuster in this match. <laughs> like, when he comes out for this match, I don't, I, didn't, I, I don't know, didn't love this entrance. I, I think he, I don't know, I think he was aiming for the fences, maybe hit a ground rule double. Sorry, Rocky. Uh, didn't really do it for me, but... Anyway, the, if, we, if you're wondering why Rapongi 3K is Rapongi 3K, it's because Romero has said they are 3,000 times better than anyone else. Oh, wow. <laughs> the one thing I think that is interesting is that, that if Rocky Romero is now going to be a manager, then at least he has the hyperbole intact. He's prepared himself to uh, talk talk uh, over over his head. Um, also, interestingly enough, they refer to Rocky Romero as the director 
They never say manager. Um, they call him the director. So that's that's interesting. Great match, right? I mean, really great match. And uh, the cool thing about the match is the Young Bucks are obviously. I mean, they're super talented, like stupid talented. But uh, Rapongi 3K showing you, they really kept up with them. Um, it was very impressive, actually. Very impressed by them. They were extremely good. I went from not caring about the Tempura Boys at all to uh, after this match thinking. Well, how about you now, Rapongi 3K? Right. Um, I will say, as far as both tag teams go, everything was in stereo. Yeah. I mean, I've said it before, and let me say it right now. I haven't seen NSYNC tag team wrestling like this since the Rockers. I actually thought that joke to myself uh, while watching the <laughs> match independently from you. Um, that we talked about the Young Bucks uh, a lot of the show, and I th- we long ago... It was like there's something about there's something about them that you can't quite describe. But I actually thought of I thought of what it reminds me of uh, oh, nice. long ago. But I've been waiting for a good time to go into it. The Young Bucks are like two Deadpool's because they're like these like ninjas that cartwheel around and flip around and take nothing seriously, and they also break that fourth wall all the time. By, like, you know, obviously joking in the ring together, um, and, and, like, their fucking finisher is called the Meltzer Driver. Obviously, it's a, it's a, a throw to Dave Meltzer, the famous, you know, wrestling critic. Um, so it's like, it's like they are two Deadpools. Also, their, their arsenal in the ring, it's, it's all power bombs, it's sharpshooters, it's, you know, tombstone pile drivers. It's, it's basically like if you make no mercy characters, and just give them all these special moves. It's like, you know, you hit your special, and then you go ahead and like do all of your special moves. That's what it's like watching the Young Bucks wrestle. You're absolutely right. It's self-referential. It's ironic. It's meta. It's postmodern. You're absolutely right. That is, I don't know that I would have independently come up with Deadpool, <laughs> but it's spot on. Yeah. Because that is what they're doing. They're representing... They're truly bringing that postmodern take on what it is to be a pro wrestler because it it sort of eliminates any possibility. It totally precludes the the concept of earnestness. Right. Everything is deliberate. Everything is telegraphed, but not in a phony way. It comes across as legit. But man, that, that's a that's a I dig your observation, dude. Right. I'll I'll, I'll say about them a, a compliment that I once received while doing when I worked for Universal Studios Hollywood as a tour guide. Uh, a, a a guy who'd taken my tour a few times uh, said, "It's like you don't care, but you care enough." <laughs> and wow. that's And that's how I feel about the young bucks. So the young bucks, it's like they don't care, but they care enough. Right. Exactly. I dig it. I dig that, too. Well, uh, both teams work a back injury. I believe it's Matt for the Young Bucks and Show for Rapongi 3K. They work this back injury hard. Yeah. So there you go. There's your caring enough. There's your old school wrestling in an otherwise flippy, flippy match. Right. That they are working those body parts and not in a Shawn Michaels selling to Hulk Hogan at SummerSlam kind of way. But in a old school, you know, 
Tully and Arn kind of way. Right, right, right. So anyway, uh, speaking of the Meltzer driver, the Bucks do hit the Meltzer driver, and uh, Show eventually taps out, and the Young Bucks are victorious. They are your seven-time IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. Yeah, it's always nice to see that springboard-assisted Meltzer driver. Uh, yeah, and then I think I believe it's Matt rolls over uh, either Show or Yo. I don't know them. I don't know which is which at this point. I haven't seen him wrestle that much. Um, but yeah, it taps out to a sharpshooter, and that sharpshooter just kept coming up over and over again throughout the match. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, that, that is not, that. They're not shy with the sharpshooter. No, they are not. Uh, and they've become, as you said earlier, the seven-time IWGP Junior Tag Team Champions, the Young Bucks. Yeah, and they, they, <laughs> they keep saying that now their jerseys need to be retired in the Tokyo Dome. So, <laughs> so we'll see. I don't think, uh, I don't think uh, Japan understands. I think that's lost in translation, Bucks. Right. Uh, I thought it was funny that Marty Skrull actually said uh, on Twitter, I believe, that uh, you'll have to explain this one to me, boys. We don't retire our jerseys in England. So <laughs> that was pretty funny. All right, next up at Wrestle Kingdom 12, we have a gauntlet match for the never open weight six-man tag team titles. Um, as we said to you, dear listeners, uh, uh, when we covered both New Japan Dominion last year as well as Wrestle Kingdom 11. Uh, for those of you who are not that familiar with Japanese wrestling or New Japan, never was sort of a, uh, a B League or a D League, if you want to take the uh, NBA reference, and uh, or a minor league, a feeder system or whatever, to New Japan. It was sort of like NXT. So that's the best way to describe it when you talk about these never championships. And yes, I'm saying the word Never, N-E-V-E-R, uh, never is sort of like if you were defending your NXT titles uh, on Raw or at WrestleMania. So that's sort of the idea here. But the never uh, banner, if you will, the never imprint or sub-league has an open weight six-man tag titles. Open weight, and the emphasis placed on open weight because in IWGP, Everything is junior heavyweight or heavyweight. Yeah, you'll notice but, that listening to this. <laughs> There's a lot of junior heavyweight and heavyweight. Yeah, exactly. But in never, it's all open weight. So you have cruiserweights, light heavyweights, heavyweights, super heavyweights, whatever. They all compete uh, equally. And these six-man titles are held coming into this night by the Bullet Club, which, of course, are Tamatanga, Tongaloa, and Bad Luck Fale. But they by virtue of being the champions, will be the last team that enters. Right, because it is a gauntlet match, which means, you know, one to two people, or in this case, two teams of three, six man, um, start the match off and people get eliminated, other people come in to replace. And basically, it's it's a survival mode, if you will. Uh, so... So yeah, so the champions get to stick around. They get to be the last ones to enter the gauntlet. Uh, so the gauntlet begins with Zack Sabre Jr., Tai Chi, Takahashi Azuka, and they take on Mike Elgin and War Machine, the team of Raymond Rowe and Hanson from uh, ROH. I know there's a lot of heat with Mike Elgin these days. Are you aware of this, Darren? I don't... Other than... I mean, he, he might get heat from the Power Rangers because on this night, Michael Elgin... <laughs> Looks like he looks like 
if Taz ate the Red Ranger. Wow, interesting. That, uh, if that's the heat you're talking about, then maybe I'm aware, but probably, it's probably not that heat. I, I mentioned it because it's probably not that heat. I mentioned it because I'm pretty sure Elgin said some negative comments about women wrestlers in general, um, oh, no. which should go over pretty well with his tag team partner in this one, Raymond Rowe, who is uh, dating, if not married, to Sarah Logan on WWE. Um, right. I, I know War Machine had some negative things to say about Michael Elgin be, uh, because of it. Um, I'm pretty sure I got that right. Um, so anyway, I, I just thought it was kind of interesting that they're tag team partners, and it's like, I know they're not happy with each other right now. It's the the six-man gauntlet, and these two teams started off. And yeah, Of course, this is after Izuka is led to the ring on a leash by Taka Michinoku. Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> and uh, so I, I'm interested in this Izuka dude. Like, I don't know much about him. So, like, I want to know more about Takashi Izuka because – Apparently, he needs to be leashed. Well, everywhere I look, it's people talking about Takahashi Azuka, so I, I want to know more about him. Um, well, there you go. I guess once you get to the ring, he becomes unleashed. Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, this got, the gauntlet gets started, and uh, they go for a bit. Eventually, uh, Sabre Jr. makes Roe pass out with, uh, I think it's head scissors, uh, I think, that he makes him pass out with. It's not a submission as much as it is just passing out. Right, yeah, I think it's a triangle, um, and he does. He just passes out. It's as a referee stoppage, and I'll mention this again later. S- referee stoppage, uh, if you had been privy to the English commentary, Perry. Uh, <laughs> Which I was not. Kelly and Callis say the words referee stoppage way too much on this show. <laughs> like, I began to think, who's to blame here? Is it Kelly and Callis? Or is that like the new hot finish in New Japan? Like they want to make it more UFC like, but like it's like, all right, stop saying referee stoppage and stop having a moment in every match that's like, oh, is there going to be a referee stoppage? You know, it's <laughs> it, it kind of reeks of that sort of like WWE repetition that I get so sick of. Right. So, but anyway, you're right. Uh, Row Row <laughs> goes out. And uh, the team of War Machine and Big Mike are, are are history. They are finito because of a referee stoppage. Right. And so next, the team Chaos. Team Chaos comes out, and that's Beretta, Tomohiro Ishii, and Toru Yanu. And this is the most, this is the oddest three-man team I've ever seen. <laughs> this team makes no sense. Yeah, I mean Toru Yano is a comedian. He he is the comedy act, and he you know he's he's standing beside Ishi, the Stone Pitbull. I mean, last time we covered Ishi on this show was at the G1 Special in USA in the U.S. Title Tournament final when he lost to Kenny Omega. I mean, this dude is all business. He he's a he, you know he's a little troll of a man. He's like a a little like rock biter, like a mo- little like a little pocket monster. He's a stone pit bull. Yes, he's a stone pit bull. Okay. Exactly. No, and and they get in. It doesn't take very long for uh, Takahashi uh, to get rolled up and pinned. Actually, um, pretty pretty quickly after they come out. I don't I don't like quick eliminations and like elimination matches. You know, I hate that, Darren. Oh, I know. Uh, lest we forget here, Tai Chi of Suzuki Goon. 
Tokyo Magnums off his pants. <laughs> and that was the highlight of the entire pay-per-view for me, was Tai Chi taking a moment to Tokyo Magnum off his pants, which of course means to behave in the style of the Japanese wrestler known as Tokyo Magnum, and that is to rip your pants off um, like a track star or a stripper might. <laughs> I always appreciate yeah, the stars of track and field as well as uh, exotic dancers for their ability to utilize tearaway clothing in the optimum way that you utilize tearaway clothing. Like the good Lord intended, yes. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Uh, they're gone, man. They are gone. And next, Taguchi Japan is coming out. Togi Makabe, the Unchained Gorilla, Juice Robinson, Honor and Heart, and Ryusuke Taguchi, the Funky Weapon. They all enter the gauntlet match here as Taguchi Japan. That's right. Did you, uh, I don't know if you got the same graphic that I did. I guess you would have, um... Did you notice that the graphics said David Finlay and not Juice Robinson at this point? Yes, I did. Okay, I did. yeah. I wonder if there was a if there was a substitution made because I know David Finlay was in the Rumble match before the show started. Uh, and I wonder if like Juice was supposed to be in that and they switched things around or what or someone got confused. All those Gaijins, they're all the same. Yeah, I, I was gonna say. Well, I think we noticed a couple of graphic uh, errors in the G1 special in USA as well. Where no, they had- no, that was Jim Ross. Yeah, yeah, that right. That was Jim Ross every match. Right. But uh, so Taguchi Japan now in the match. They're dominating for a while, especially uh, Makabe, uh, Ryusuke Taguchi uh, channels Shinsuke Nakamura at one point. He does, uh, which was very interesting. Uh, it was also interesting that uh, Kevin Kelly said uh, Nakamura Shinsuke, saying his name in reverse order in Japanese the way you pronounce Japanese name with the uh, the surname first and the given name second. And uh, it was interesting of Kevin Kelly as a gaijin himself to actually refer to him as Nakamura Shinsuke. So that was, that was notable. Gaijin, please. <laughs> yeah. So even though uh, we get that moment with Taguchi, uh, he's rolled up by Yano because apparently Yano... I guess comedy wrestling is the hottest thing going today because New Japan is just letting Yano run wild here. It is Yano Mania. So, it is Yano Mania in Japan for yes, sure. Yes, with, with Taguchi Japan eliminated the Bullet Club, the champions Tamatanga Tangaloa, aka the Gorillas of Destiny, aka the Sons of Haku, with Bad Luck Fale. Enter the gauntlet match finally. You notice they referenced Fale on uh, Raw. The uh, the Balor Club was talking about New Japan stuff. They said Fale. Did you, did you get that? No, no. Why I missed that? What what happened? Because they brought Gallows and Anderson in with uh, Finn Balor, and they brought together the Balor Club. So now all of a sudden the Balor Club's like they're backstage. They're talking about New Japan stuff, and they mentioned Fale. Um, and a couple of other things, and it's like that's really interesting that they're they're doing that all of a sudden. But the thing is, they're about they're really alienating their casual audience because they have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. So it's so Balor Club's referencing all this obvious Bullet Club New Japan stuff on Raw, and casual fans are just like, 
the fuck's going on? Like, let's go. Why, why is Balor? Why is Finn Balor hanging out with these guys now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Fair. I do know what you mean, and yeah. that is a fair assessment. As far as your casual viewer, as far as USA Network, and as far as the stockholders are concerned, they need to cut that out. Yeah. But as far as I'm concerned, give me more. Give me more. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. <laughs> to me, that's like Shawn Michaels making his way to the ring and pulling open his blazer and hiding a too sweet in it at the height of the beginning of the Monday Night Wars. Like, give me that insider stuff all day long. If you don't get it, that's the beauty of it. If you don't get it, it is intriguing. It will bring you in. It will make somebody Google, what was that word he said? I've never heard Fale. How do you spell Fale? What the hell is Finn Balor talking about? All of a sudden, you care a little bit more. Somebody who never took the time or the opportunity to explore the career of Prince Devitt. Right. uh, Of course, was Finn Balor's name in New Japan. Might now do that. And then all of a sudden, they become a bigger fan of Finn Balor because of Prince Devitt. Right. I think it's great. I really think it's good. It's sort of a, in its own weird way, kind of a viral marketing kind of approach. But right. But anyway. again, you don't want to alienate the casual fans, the, the ones that think there were like seven Ultimate Warriors. Um, but as you were. <laughs> <laughs> well, back to Fale in, uh, the, in the ring here uh, at Wrestle Kingdom. Fale and Ishii is a good matchup. Like, I really like it. The The size difference is amazing, but they're both badasses. And I like how, as they continue to fight each other, they keep teasing Ishii being able to suplex Fale, and then finally he does it. It's like, man, that is such a great job of working the crowd. And you don't have enough of really working, milking the crowd anymore. Um but they, this is an excellent uh, job over here. The Bullet Club trio, Tama Tonga, Tonga Loa, and Bad Luck Fale, uh, they keep being referred to as the BCOGs because as far as the Bullet Club goes, BC, these are your OGs. They are the only original members of the Bullet Club left. That would be original gangsters, all right? Not just – OG doesn't just mean Olive Garden, okay? That's true. That's true. It does mean Olive Garden. It does mean Olive Garden. <laughs> I, I, I will commonly say OG with an OG if I'm going to Olive Garden with a friend of mine. Olive Garden with an original gangster. Oh, that's just a mess. That's a that's a agog. Agog. <laughs> Beretta is reeling from attempting a moonsault and getting hit by a gun stun, which is just a diamond cutter uh, that Tomatonga does. And Beretta hits the Dude Buster on Tomatonga for the win. New and new. Never open weight six-man tag champions. Chaos. The weirdest team of all time. Beretta, Tomohiro Ishii, and Toru Yano. It's like the Gaijin, the Cave Troll. And the Comedian. comedian. Yeah. It's weird. I don't. I don't even know that I like it. Like, it's, it's so weird. Well, I don't like. As Paul Abdul pointed out to us many years ago, Darren, opposites attract. So, well, yes. I mean, like Paul Abdul is what brought me to that song. The cartoon cat is what made me stay. 
<laughs> right. All right, next up we have the American Nightmare, Cody, who we mentioned earlier, with the lovely Brandy Rhodes. And it's hilarious that she's allowed to be Brandy Rhodes. Yeah, I noticed that too, yeah. He is only allowed to be Cody. Um, Cody sporting his new blonde haircut that we saw him debut at Final Battle Ring of Honor where he lost his Ring of Honor World Championship to Dalton Castle. He's coming out on this night looking like Dolph Lundgren as Ivan Drago from Rocky IV, um, or or at least his mini-me. And uh, Kota Ibushi will be his opponent, the Golden Star. The Golden Star Kota Ibushi. This is a killer matchup. Kota Ibushi, uh, you might recognize that name from the CWC tournament, the Cruiserweight Classic, way, way back and uh, the whole reference shows infancy when we covered that tournament. And I thought for sure Kota Ibushi was going to win the tournament, and uh, it was, was not to be. Kota Ibushi was approached to sign with WWE, but he knew better. He was like, nah, nah, nah thanks, and he went back to New Japan. Yeah, that's interesting. If you're, if, Dear listeners, if you're very well-versed in Japanese wrestling, you may also know Kota Ibushi from the DDT promotion. Which, hell, they'll fight anywhere. They'll fight in a mall fountain, on a baseball field, on uh, snow slopes. DDT, very interesting, off the wall. It's kind of reverse green eggs and ham, where he says all the places he would not eat, they say all the places they would wrestle. So it's the same thing. That, it's, that Sam, Sam, they aren't. <laughs> yeah. In DDT wrestling. Kota Ibushi, if you watched Wrestle Kingdom 11 last year, you, you saw him, but you didn't see him. Because last year he wrestled as Tiger Mask W at Wrestle Kingdom 11. That was Kota Ibushi under the uh, more anime-inspired Tiger Mask gimmick on a show where you also had Tiger Mask 4. Let's not retread that very, very confusing ground. But Kota Ibushi, no mask, representing himself, representing um, his career as the Golden Star, taking on Cody. And this is called a handsome bout. They call (laughs) this a handsome battle. I don't know what that means, but it's very Japanese of them to say, Handsome battle! Yeah, it is very Japanese. Speaking of Cody, uh, you mentioned he's kind of Ivan Drago-y. Does he remind you of any other fictional characters from uh, the movies? This one one might be super obvious to everybody, but I'm just now kind of realizing it myself because I don't see Cody on TV as often as I I think I do, I guess. Because he's blonde now or just all along? All along the way he acts, he's getting he's becoming Jared Leto Joker. Has anyone else noticed this? <laughs> Is it a point that he's making to do that? Jared Leto Joker? Yeah, he's totally Jared Leto Joker. And by by the I, way, I never saw Suicide Squad, and I never will. But um, <laughs> just the the slick back blonde hair, and just kind of like acting very manic and weird. And now Brandy Rhodes is kind of like his Harley Quinn, you know what I mean? Like, it, it seems very much the case. Interesting. I don't know. That I, I, no, I had not noticed that. I um, can only put things in perspective if I can say that people we're talking about are kind of like these comic book characters, apparently. The Young Bucks are Deadpool. You get the idea. I, I get it. I get it. Uh, 
another thing about that that's obvious to me, and I think this kind of goes hand in hand with it being called a handsome battle, is I, w- I would say these two guys standing across the ring from each other, these are two straight-up young studs. And I know that makes me sound like Jim Ross. Yes, it does. But damn, these dudes have excellent physiques. They look extremely, extremely uh, capable and and, and healthy and physical and, like, scary. Like, I don't want to fight these guys. I wouldn't want to fight either of these dudes, you know? And I guess I guess he's doing his best Jared Leto Joker. But he totally Cody is. is Fans, back me up on this. Cody is super healing it up. Um, you know, he, he gets a he gets a chair. He's using the chair. Uh, I, I think the the one thing in this match that blew me away was Cody doing the crossroads to Ibushi off the apron to the floor. You mean the the spinning reverse DDT? Yeah. Yeah, that exactly. was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And when I say WTF, no, I'm not referencing another obscure Japanese organization. I'm saying, what the fuck? Right. Kodabushi barely makes a 20 count back into the ring after that one. Oh, yeah. 19 and three quarters. Yeah. Cody hits a Hurricane Rana for a near fall. Ibushi catches fire after that. He counters another attempt at the crossroads (laughs) by turning Cody into a lawn dart, throwing him into the (laughs) ring post. That was pretty cool. Abushi's able to, to pull off the last ride powerbomb, which Kevin Kelly actually calls the last ride powerbomb. Oh, wow. I thought it was interesting. Uh, near fall there, I thought it was going to be, I really thought that was going to be a three count. Abushi then hits Cody with that straight jacket suplex and then a big knee to the face, which Abushi uh, calls the Kamigoye and the Phoenix Splash and beats Cody. Yeah, that corkscrew moonsault, man, that's. <laughs> That's <laughs> insane to watch, yeah. Yeah, so here we have Kota Ibushi, your big winner. That's pretty pretty damn cool. I was surprised uh, Cody this, flew all that way I, just to lose to Kota Ibushi. I really was. Yeah. Uh, I will say at New Japan, uh, I've already got that feeling even at this point in the card uh, where it's like it really seems like matches are fought like there's no tomorrow, you know, but then there is a tomorrow. And like, here's the here's what I my one of my biggest takeaways from Wrestle Kingdom is New Japan right now is being booked like episodic films, not like episodic television. Right, I get right? that. Like, and I feel like you know, pro wrestling is a television product. It's always been a television product. It probably should remain a television product. But I think that. that approach that let's book it like episodic films instead of episodic TV, meaning there is a little bit of a cliffhanger. There is room for the next story, but this could also be the finish. If this is the only thing you ever saw, you can leave satisfied with the finish. Not everything like you, this, I'm going to, I'm going to take a page out of your book here where you talk about how WrestleMania is now an advertisement for the next WrestleMania. Yes. To me, that's, that's every WWE show now. And that's that's too many American wrestling shows, whether it's WWE or not. It's this focus on, all right, you're here, you're already here. It doesn't matter what we do tonight. We got to sell you tickets for next time. Right, right. You know, and I don't like that. So I think there needs to be more of that. Treating it like episodic films, treating it more like sports. 
And that's what I mean when I say they fight these matches like there's no tomorrow, like real sports. You need that sporting element, that 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 feeling that we're leaving it all on the field. Right. There's you no know? closure. Like you don't really get closure in like angles and matches. Like people just kind of stop wrestling each other all of a sudden, and then that, that's kind of it. Um, so no, I, I totally agree with that completely. So next up, we've got Los Ingobernables de Japón, Evil, and Sonata taking on the Killer Elite Squad of Davy Boy Smith Jr. and Lance Archer, a.k.a. Lance Hoyt. This is a match for the IWGP Tag Team Championship, the Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. And damn, the champions, Davy Boy Smith and Lance Archer, they're heavyweights, all right. They are the champions. There's some big and intimidating dudes. Lance Archer may, uh, Evil might have to change his name to just, you know, mean, uh, because Lance, Lance Archer is like super evil and like just an asshole. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, no, that well, guy should be called has evil. To change his name to mean or Lance Archer just changed his name to super evil. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very evil. Yeah, uh, LIJ, Evil and Sonata, they are your World Tag League champions from 2017, but they want the belts. They don't want just the trophies. They want those very prestigious belts. And the Killer Elite Squad uh, of Smith and Archer, they are giants in jeans. They are huge dudes. Uh, it's nice, though, seeing Davy Boy Smith in the Union Jack vest. Um, it, it reminds you. That he really is Davy Boy Smith Jr. Right. If, if if the giant back doesn't remind you, then yes, the the Union Jack does. Uh, he definitely has his father's jeans, and I don't mean just the 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 denim. <laughs> <laughs> so the Killer Elite Squad absolutely manhandle Lij here brutally. I mean, they take uh, the Killer Elite Squad. They even take out the young boys. Uh, you know, Sonata gets desperation tag on Evil who does manage to get an upper hand on uh, Smith and Archer. Uh, and he attacks and absorbs uh, with very little selling. So this is like total, like on, on a tear here uh, for uh, evil. Um, and then the legend killer double team near fall. And then Sonata back in hits a moonsault for the win. And Los Ingobernables de Japón represented by Evil and Sonata, are the World Tag Team Champions of IWGP. So congratulations to LIJ. A big win for them. Will their leader bring the most prestigious title in the company home to join? I don't know. Let's see. Next up, we have Hiroki Goto taking on Minoru Suzuki. This is a hair versus hair, no seconds match for the never open weight championship. <laughs> so Minoru Suzuki, by virtue of being the never open weight champion, is essentially a world champion. Like I said about the never belts, this would sort of be like uh, having the NXT champion, Andrade Almas, uh, defending his title at WrestleMania. And Minoru Suzuki, who is a New Japan veteran, uh, a very, very excellent person to have holding this belt. An excellent uh, ambassador for the Never brand, if you will. As well as an uh, excellent person to put on a poster. And this feud that he's been having with Goto has gotten gnarly. Apparently, hair versus hair is a really big deal 
in Japan. Like I always, I mean, hair versus hair, historically very important in pro wrestling. I know it's very important in Mexico as well because it's kind of tied in with the mask thing. And it's like hair versus hair or mask versus mask or hair versus mask. But apparently it's a really big deal in Japan too because to shave one's head in Japan is like committing seppuku only you don't die. Like apparently it's a (laughs) true blue like for a shoot shaming ritual. Right. So for for New Japan to bring this like real cultural, uh, this real piece of the zeitgeist into the ring, like that's kind of nice line blurring. You know, I don't I don't know what the American comparison would be, but apparently it's very shameful to shave your head uh, in public in Japan. So this is a big deal. The fact that they're putting their hair on the line here. Well, Suzuki um, is cocky from the very start. He, he, He seemingly chokes out Goto and then kicks the doctor out of the ring. You know, and Goto looks like, uh, I don't know, I mean, he looks like he's just going to have his ass handed to him, you know. It was last year at this time that Goto defeated Shibata for this championship. So only a year ago, Goto was in a similar position, only no hair was on the line. Uh, Goto is going to show us his first sign of offense at all by uh, this chest-chopping flurry, which Suzuki completely (laughs) no-sells. And then stiffs Goto right in the jaw. Like, I don't know, man. It's weird. The match is brutal and one-sided for the longest time. Uh, Suzuki Goon tries to hit the ring, and uh, which, of course, the whole virtue of having no seconds is, you know, nobody at ringside. It's a way of saying, you know, people barred from ringside or whatever. But uh, the young boys, the young boys that surround the ring and bring the ice packs and all that stuff, they are desperately trying to stop Takamichinoko and Desperado. Um, and Yoshihashi runs out from the back to stop Tai Chi. Um, but Suzuki is still just taking it to Goto, slapping him ridiculously. He's bleeding, you know, and uh, he puts Goto out with the sleeper. But uh, he foregoes the win by trying a power bomb, which Goto counters. You know, and even though Goto's bleeding from the mouth, it's a very impressive counter. Uh, Suzuki turns right around, though. Super stiff, super no-sells. Like, I don't know, man. I, I'm terrified of Suzuki. What do you think? <laughs> Anyone who no-sells, you, you got to be terrified of. You don't know what they're capable of. Well, yeah, uh, but apparently he was not capable of popping out of two consecutive finishes. Goto hits two moves. Uh, in succession to finish Suzuki. Suzuki, of course, tries to flee, uh, but he does finally return to the ring and in a showing of humility, shaves his own head, quote-unquote shaming himself. So that was pretty interesting. Uh, pretty interesting to see Goto uh, makes Suzuki shave his head and in the process captures the never openweight championship. So, hey, Everything's coming up roses for Hiroki Goto. <laughs> so the hair is not enough of a of a of, of a win keeping your hair. Uh, there's all, there's all, I also get a belt. Oh, nice, cool. Also, you're a world champion. Good for you. Very nice. That takes us into another championship bout. Uh, it is actually a four way for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title. 
Uh, this one's going to be fought between uh, Kushida uh, taking on Will Ospreay, Marty Skrull, and Hiromu Takahashi. And, man, how cool is Marty Skrull? All, all the stuff that he gets, he gets that, like, that, that old-timey, like, poisoner, alchemist weird mask, and he's got the vulture wings, and, man. Yeah, the, play, the, uh, the plague doctor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the mask. And the umbrella... The, uh, the eyes wide shut, if you will. The the eyes wide shut mask. Oh yeah, like the very disturbing, scary ass Marilyn Manson music video. <laughs> like, what the hell? Well, I remember. I remember when we went to see uh, ROH live at uh, Center Stage, like you know, forever ago, and that's the first time I saw. It's the first time I ever saw him live, and it's the first time I saw his video. And heard his music, and I even then I was like, "Man, this is perfect!" Like everything about his uh, his character is perfect. The music and the video, perfect. Uh, so I mean, I got the same vibe when I watched it here. It was just like, "Oh man, this is like creepy." Yeah. Well, guess what? That show at Center Stage, exactly one year ago this week. Oh wow! Hey. That one year ago, we were there at Center Stage watching Marty Scurll. Wrestle in ROH. But yeah, so he's got the Plague Doctor mask, the top hat, the umbrella, the coat, but now he's got wings? Yeah, man. I know that he, you know, pretends to fly in the ring, and he does the chicken wing and all that, but the actual wings, that, I don't know. I'm sure that audience is pretty happy about all that, all, all the theatrics. They were like, yes, he's one of us. I love it, man. It's like, what fool hath added water to the sea? You know, who brings a torch to bright burning Troy? Marty Skrull, that's who. Marty Skrull. Nothing, there's nothing worth doing that's not worth overdoing. Thank you, Marty Skrull. That's right. And he is uh, defending his title belt against these other three dudes. And this match is killer. This really is a great match. This is crazy. Osprey with his gymnastics frenzy. Uh, you know, Skrull calling all of his moves, calling for the super kick, calling everything that he does. You know, Osprey hits a moonsault off of the lighting truss onto all three opponents. Um, you know, I mean, and, and don't forget that Daryl is at ringside, even though he's wearing a mask. Daryl the cat, uh, friend of Hiromu Takahashi, he is at ringside, <laughs> so... Don't forget, Daryl may or may not become involved later in the match. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's really a good four-way. This is a good example of a four-way. All four of them are in the ring most of the time. All four of them seem like they're actually participating most of the time. And it really looks and feels like a four-way fight. You know? Oh, yeah. Skrull seems... You know, Marty Skrull seems extremely arrogant in this match. And he kind of feels like he's in control the whole time, but it does feel like a four-way fight. Um, there is a series of upside down on the top rope super kicks happening between Kushida and Osprey and Skrull. And those are some interesting spots. I don't think I've ever really seen anything like that. So, you know, tip of the hat for the innovation there. I, uh, at one point, Marty Skrull goes into the doctor's bag and gets a hand of baby powder or talcum or something, which he throws in the face of Kushida. Nevertheless, Kushida turns right around and almost pins Skrull, but Osprey breaks it up. I know that at this point, Takahashi kind of 
kind of wakes up as far as being uh, really relevant to, to the combat, hitting Osprey and then Skrull, both of them, with sunset bombs to the outside floor off of the apron. That's pretty awesome. Holy crap. That is super awesome. Like, I dig Takahashi, and that was the highlight of the night, for him, anyway. Takahashi pulls Skrull into the ring and hits the time bomb on him for a near fall. And at one point, Takahashi basically is in control, you know? Here comes Takahashi in control. Ladies love his cat and his gallant stroll. And I will say that uh, it's not until Kushida hits the sunset bomb on Takahashi that Takahashi kind of gets knocked down a peg. You know, Will, will Ospreay, again, gymnastics frenzy, hits a shooting star press off the top rope to the outside, then inside hits a 450 on Takahashi for a near fall. It's actually a reverse 450. Oh, right, right. And uh, we've seen where, where we see... We see... Um, Ali. Who's the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mustafa Ali do that. Yeah, he's the one who does that. Uh, Os- Osprey does it just as beautifully. Um, Takahashi does pull the time bomb off again on Osprey near fall, but Skrull pulls the referee out of the ring because, again, no matter what's happening, Skrull seems in control in this match. Um, Skrull then hits Takahashi and Kushida with the umbrella in the face, and that was. That looked scary and real right yeah, right i don't want to get hit in the face with an umbrella i don't either uh, when Skrull tries to do it to osprey uh osprey is able to avoid it and uh hits a crazy move and then hits the os cutter on Skrull for the win yeah that springboard diamond cutter that a lot of the uh, a lot of indie folk like to hit uh but yeah it rolls up squirrel and he takes his uh, iwgp junior heavyweight title from him I tell you what, they are not afraid to change belts on this program. <laughs> no, they, they are did not. It last, no, they did it last year, and they did it again this year. Right. A four-way match, though, or in a gauntlet match, I mean, you're bound to get new champions, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. And, like, I honestly, all of these guys deserve this belt. All of these guys had a great match. Right. They should have given everyone honorary titles. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have enough belts to go around and. uh in New Japan, so maybe next year. Well, there should be an IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion and then three IWGP Junior Junior Heavyweight Champions. <laughs> <laughs> but it will be Will Ospreay walking out with the actual title on this night. Congratulations to him. Now, the IWGP Intercontinental Championship is on the line. The champion, the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, takes on the true definition of a young upstart, and that is Switchblade Jay White. Where's Jay White from? I couldn't quite figure it out. He's from New Zealand, actually. He ah. is, he's a Kiwi. He's a and dangerous I, Kiwi. He looks like a young Danzig. <laughs> well, I tell you what, he does now, now that he's Switchblade Jay White, and that's brand new to me, um, Switchblade is, and I'm going to say it that way every time, uh, <laughs> is very different than Jay White that we saw in person one year ago this week at those ROH TV tapings. Um, and very different than the, the Jay White that we saw on Access TV for the G1 special in the USA. He competed on both nights in an eight-man tag 
and a 10-man tag. And they seemed to be pushing him, but he was like a, a white meat baby face. Like he was a... Yeah, baby, yeah, I just happened to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Good old down-home New Zealand, you know, bright-eyed, wide-eyed, uh, white meat baby face. And Switchblade is not that. Switchblade is <laughs> is one bamf. He is a he is a bamf and a half. Yes, indeed he is. Yeah, and like Jay White, his size is good. The pants look good on him. I'm glad to see that he's going with the pants and the boots look as opposed to the trunks. Um, it's a really interesting look. And, uh, you know, I know he'd been sporting like the, the young man gray hair look for a while, but now he seems to be going with the sort of it's black and it's slicked and um, it's long on one side, short on the other. He's got a, he literally has a switchblade um, like medallion on his necklace. And, I, you know, I guess he's just sort of like this this greaser or this guy from the wrong side of the tracks, uh, the wrong side of New Zealand, uh, <laughs> I guess. Right. But, uh, anyway, it's interesting to see that uh, Tanahashi will be working a knee injury. Oh, it yay. Seems like, seems like that's what Tanahashi has been doing lately. He had a legitimate... Uh, bicep tear last year then later in 2017 he uh, stayed off of a couple of tours because of what was described as wear and tear and now throughout this match he's working a knee injury so i mean is tanahashi starting to show his age how much of this is you know is our shoot injuries and how much is is truly a work but the world may uh, never know. I, Beyond that, though, it's a really good match. However, Jay White does work that injury for like the first half of the match, at least. He does. He does. And then at one point, Ace uh, does manage to hit the high fly flow, which is an amazing crossbody splash. He hits it off the top rope to the outside. And like I made a special note to myself, the excellent contact uh, of this particular uh, high fly flow from the top rope to switchblade jay white on the outside <laughs> like it is so much meat on meat it is a true crossbody. it looks like i don't know too much too much these days your 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 planchas and your splashes and your salts anything coming off the top rope it's almost as if the attempt is to hit as little humanity as possible right try either land on your feet or take a you know a back bump on the floor and just sort of you know graze someone's arm with your arm, but that is not what happens with this high fly flow. Ace uh, Ace hits switchblade, you know body to body here, and it's beautiful, almost as beautiful as Ace's hair is. Uh, I will say Tanahashi's hair is a work of art all by itself. <laughs> Uh, one thing that I did like uh, as far as uh, what Jay White did, you know, like his, his ring psychology, is he kept calling for, quote-unquote, the ace. Uh, it seemed to be a similar gimmick to like how Bray Wyatt uh, is always calling for someone's inner demon or for their inner hero. It seems like that's what Jay White was working here. It's like, come on, Tanahashi, give me the ace. Like, Give me your best shot. Like, get, you know, come on, hero. Right. Or, and I thought that was really cool. Um, at one point, uh, Tanahashi hits the high fly flow again. 
and then goes for an immediate second one, which he misses. And uh, White uh, then goes for a strike. Now this, this here, here we go. This is a point where I was like, okay, enough with the stoppages, because they called what Switchblade was doing right here. Uh, they called it a striking submission, and I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not MMA. And now the fact that you're even talking about the possibility of a match ending by striking submission stoppage, I was like, that's a bit too much. Right. You know, this isn't boxing. Uh, this is not MMA. You're not going to, I, I don't know, you're not going to hit somebody with a flurry combo punch that's going to cause a referee to step in and stop the fight. And if you do, I'm not going to like it. That's <laughs> not professional. But anyway, uh, so uh, Jay White will go for the Kiwi Crusher, but no dice. The double high fly flow again. Ace goes for it and actually lands it twice in a row for the win. He's going to have to drop the Kiwi Crusher. Uh, it's, it's not doesn't sound very uh, becoming of a swift bleed. Uh, so they call true. it something he else. He needs to call it like the the, the, the face stabber. <laughs> it's, is it a Megadeth song? Um, yeah, well, like you were talking about earlier with uh, the quote-unquote meat-on-meat collision, uh, when Tanahashi comes off that top rope and splashes on Switchblade's back when he is standing up, I thought that was like, oh my god, like that's that's like you're trying to hurt the guy for real. Uh, but then, yeah, he does hit that frog splash on uh, Jay White after that and gets the win. And IWGP Intercontinental title keeps it. Way to go, Ace! Yeah, firmly around the waist of the ace. The waist of the ace. The waist of the ace. There we go. Yeah, man. All right, and now that leaves us, dear listeners, fans of New Japan, fans of pro wrestling, fans of the whole ref and show, that leaves us with only two more matches. Only two more matches to discuss. The double main event of Wrestle Kingdom 12. We're going to see two of the biggest matches in all of pro wrestling, back-to-back to to conclude what is an amazing night of professional wrestling from the Tokyo Dome. And the first of this double main event is the IWGP United States Championship no-disqualification match between Y2J, Chris Jericho of the WWE, taking on the United States champion of IWGP, Kenny Omega. Kenny! <laughs> yes. Kenny! The cleaner. The cleaner of the of the Bullet Club, accompanied to the ring by his brothers in the elite, the Young Bucks, the brothers Jackson. Uh, Jericho is going to come out to the song Judas, the Fozzie song Judas. So Jericho's singing his own entrance music. I told you he'd come out to Fozzie. (laughs) Hey, but as I've said, as I've said, (laughs) Judas is the first Fozzie song that I ever liked. Wow. But probably uh, the first one you ever heard, too, to be fair. Is that accurate? No. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) I've heard Fozzie songs before, but I just dismissed them as... Oh, that's cute, Christian. Oh. It's like, that's a nice hobby you got there, Jerkico. Um, 
Everyone can do only one thing and only one thing. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Stop it. You're not a, a jerk of all trades. Yes. Um, but I will say that the song Judas is pretty damn good. And it made for good entrance music. And not to mention the fact that I'm just sitting there going, what? This is amazing. What, how and why is Jericho here? That arena, that entrance way, the music, the lights, the video, the it was very neat. It was um, borderline surreal. That's it, kind of that, surreal, yeah. That yeah, that very that definition of of seeing something that didn't seem quite real. But um, Kenny Omega, uh, I, I think it's from a video game. I don't know. You may be able to confirm or disconfirm. His entrance garb. Uh, it probably maybe was. I, I don't really know. I know his, his oh. music is very video game themed. Uh, it's on the lines of like Castlevania, Final Fantasy, but. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, so if you missed it, dear listeners, what he's wearing is like the, the gear itself is like semi like like when I say the gear, I mean like his wrestling gear, semi Tron inspired by having like bright uh, turquoise lines on black leather but then like the rest of the gear very odd like very bulky very cosplay armor type thing going on um he had a big headpiece uh like giant headgear that uh resembled the uh egyptian god of mummification anubis it's the uh the head of a jackal. Well, also, I think I heard that like they messed up his entrance somehow. Like, I think something was supposed to happen. Like, maybe the gum was supposed to fire and it didn't happen or something like that. So. Oh, yeah, because he also has a giant machine gun. He has a like, giant, like, like Halo machine gun, um, which doesn't do anything. He just looks kind of silly with it, actually. <laughs> no, I, I thought so, too. Like, I like the Anubis headpiece, but I think that the gun was a bit much. Right. Um, He's in the Bullet but, Club, Darren. He he can carry a gun. It's okay. That, that's very true. But it seems like Omega is, you know, last year he did the Terminator gimmick uh, at Wrestle Kingdom. I think Omega is kind of going down the Triple H path of uh, let's see how ridiculous my my entrance can be at the the show of shows. I don't know. Nothing's gonna top Triple H. <laughs> who said who said like multiple entrances in the same event? So. Well, I like how there were a couple of years where Triple H's entrance music had its own entrance music. Yeah, like it came out to For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica for about 20 seconds. And it, there was an entrance involved. And then the lights went out again. And then, time to blow to go! But he came out again. And it was like, how come he gets to enter twice? What's happening? Well, don't, I will, don't forget, Perry. It is tone to blow the go. <laughs> of course. So anyway, Jericho, he comes out, it's surreal. Omega comes out, it's a video game come to life. Um, as far as the announcers go, plenty of mention of WWE. Very odd to me. Um, that at one point it stated that Flair, Lesnar, and now Jericho are the only wrestlers ever to headline the Tokyo Dome and WrestleMania. So... That's pretty good company. Ric Flair, Brock Lesnar, and Chris Jericho. and uh, Those three uh, should compete for the never-open six-man tag championships. 
I hope that they never do that. Oh, whoa, whoa. Um, Omega goes off the top rope and over the railing and through the announce table. That's the opening, like, big spot. I mean, that's not how the match opens, but, like, that's the point at which early in the match you're like, oh, well, okay, they have come to devastate. <laughs> and I devastate they are. It, it's pretty clear that even though Jericho can go, I mean, this isn't Jericho of 15 years ago. This certainly isn't Jericho of 25 years ago, whereas Omega is in that place. Omega is is where Jericho was, no exaggeration, 25 years ago. Right. So you can't expect Jericho to go toe-to-toe and blow for blow uh, with Omega here. So there has to be a lot of extracurricular, and there is, but it's not cheap. It doesn't seem cheap or distraction, uh, distraction-y because there is plenty of good wrestling in between. But going over the railing and through the announce table by Omega is a killer spot pretty early. Jericho really healing it up, attacking the referee, Red Shoes, um, and one of the young boys who they keep making sure the audience is aware that that young boy is Red Shoes' son. Son of Red so, Shoes. So did, did, did you ever did you ever read the referee's uh, diaries? The, <laughs> the Red Shoe yes. Diaries. Thank you. Thank you. So, speaking now, speaking of Cinemax uh, from I earlier. Say, now to, now we brought it all full circle. Oh to late man! Television. Nice. All right, we did uh, it. Late night weirdo perverted television. <laughs> okay, who watches this programming? Okay, perverts and. Children who should not be watching. Yeah, and insomniac children and perverts, or perverted insomniac children, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which one were you, dear listeners? <laughs> I was all three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay, at one point, Omega covers Jericho with a table. Jericho, then the table on top of him, not the other way around. Omega double-jumping stomp off of the lighting rig, off of that lighting truss, onto the table, which Jericho's underneath. Well, that is crazy. Uh, nevertheless, Jericho recovers, sets Omega up for a powerbomb through another table, but instead powerbombs Omega onto the floor. And uh, then Omega sprays, like, the hold spray? Uh, in Y2J's eyes. Like, I didn't quite understand what that was supposed to be. Yeah, I wasn't sure uh, what that spray was, but yeah, he, he goes for, I think he has Omega and the Lion Tamer, and then, or the, well, sorry, the Walls of Jericho. And uh, yeah, Omega kind of twists around and sprays him in the eyes with the stuff. I will say it was nice to see that when uh, Jericho put that move, the, the move that you just named, onto the Son of Red Shoes, it was actually the Lion Tamer and not the Walls of Jericho. Right. Because the Walls of Jericho kind of ends up just being like, kind of like a, a Texas Cloverleaf. Yeah. But the true uh, Lion Tamer, where you are like basically trying to pull your head off of your body, uh, that's what Jericho, that's what Jericho actually put on Son of Red Shoes. And that was, that was kind of a cool moment. Uh, but yeah, so... Omega is juicing after going headfirst into a chair in the corner. And uh, so we got some uh, got some color 
coming out of the cleaner. And uh, then he hits a couple of snapdragons on Jericho, and that was impressive to me. Like, more so than any of Jericho's offense was Jericho taking those back-to-back snapdragons. I was like, for a man who's going on 50, like, damn, that's pretty intense. DDP yoga, Darren. DDP yoga. No, for sure, for sure. So, Jericho, um, he hits Omega in the head with a chair. Yes, you heard me right. He hits him in the head with a chair. You will not believe how shocking it is to see a chair shot to the head in 2018 until you see it and you realize how many years now we haven't seen that. (laughs) In the Chris Nowinski era of concussion awareness, you don't see that. Something we used to sit there, we used to watch The Rock try and bash McFoley's brains out on television. We used to watch Masato Tanaka and Balls Mahoney try and break metal over flesh and bone, and we didn't bat an eyelash at it. And now, when I see one, one chair shot to the head in a decade, I cringed. We were we were desensitized, uh, and now we got our we, our tolerance isn't what it used to be. Now we are sensitized. Yes. So Y2J goes through a table again, and now the one-winged angel is attempted by Omega, but countered by Jericho into a roll-up into the walls of Jericho. That was a nice counter. A, yeah. There's a very long hold on this. And why is there a rope break? This is a no DQ match. I, I don't know. Yeah, I noticed that too. He he gets to the ropes to break the submission, but it's it's no DQ, so it shouldn't break the submission. Yeah, that that's that's that happened recently in some pay per view or something, uh, where it was no DQ and that and it broke uh, it broke up the submission. I was like, whoa, what are you doing? I, I don't I don't know. Very like very very early in the match, Red Shoes tries to stop Jericho. Uh, when he's got a, a submission on Omega, and Omega grabs the rope, and when Jericho is like, it's no DQ, it's no DQ, Red Shoes stops. Yeah. But then now here at the end of the match, they use a rope break several times, and they both, they being Jericho and Omega, both acknowledge the rope break, and, and Red Shoes calls it, so it's like, What's really going on? I thought that was a little sloppy. That was kind of a fuck up, yeah. I think he Omega should have just kind of slid out of the ring under that bottom rope to get out of the submission. Or like or basically gone under the rope, since it's now technically that would not break the the hold. And like somehow like 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 kind of got his his upper like his torso up on the other side and grabbed Jericho from the back of the head into a submission. That would have been kind of cool if they're on like both sides of the ropes submitting each other. For sure. I mean, anything than the rope break. Right. It, it really messes up the flow of the match. But anyway, another one-winged angel attempt near fall. Uh, Jericho now. here Now Jericho's the one grabbing the rope. So no DQ clearly out the window. Uh, we get a wicked code breaker from Jericho. A really, really wicked Fast-moving, almost sloppy code breaker, 
but I don't mean sloppy with the negative connotation. It's one of those where it's not perfect. It's a desperation, yeah. Right, exactly. Desperation, it's better that it's not perfect. It looks more real because it's not perfect. It looks more like a fight instead of a dance. Right, and then the the code breaker came pretty late in the match. I thought for a second, like, there's no, because this match is about 35 minutes long, and I was just like, there's no way we'll get to the entire match and not see a code breaker, and we finally did, so. Yeah, but Jericho is slow to cover after the code breaker, uh, and as a result of being slow to cover, it's only a near fall. He does not win the match. Instead, Kenny Omega sets up that one-winged angel and manages to drop Jericho with it onto a chair for the one, two, three. This was a really, really great match. And a lot of people are, and Jericho is obviously championing it, the opinion of it, um, that it's like one of the great matches. It's like Steamboat versus Flair. It's not that. It's it's definitely not that. It's not. It, and the thing is, you you discredit it by aut- automatically comparing it to something else, you know, because um, it's going to be like, oh, that was great. Was it as good as this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> it's uh, it was a really great match. It was a even better than a, it being a great wrestling match. It was a great fight. It was a really great fight. You got the impression these guys wanted to hurt each other. You know, they want to out wrestle each other. They wanted to hurt one another, and I th- I think that's that's the difference between this match and a lot of matches you see you've seen in the last you know how many years. This was a great fight. This harkened back to NWA days where it was like these two have a grudge and they're going to settle it in the ring. You know, they've never they've never fought before. You know, and and this is happening now. And like it was great. I, I thought it really delivered in that respect. Was it the greatest wrestling match you've ever seen? No. And that's fine. But for me, it delivered. It really delivered. Oh, for me too. And you, I, I don't have anything else to say about that because I echo your sentiment. It it delivered. It doesn't need immediate comparison. Because no, it's not Flair Steamboat. It's not Savage Steamboat from Mania 3. Right. It's, it's not Omega Okada just from last year. It's not. It's not. But like you said, it's okay. Right. Let's take this match for what it is. It was outstanding. It's not the best match ever. It's not close to the best match ever. But it's an important match. Uh, it's a good match. And it was very entertaining, very believable. And will be a landmark match, whether or not it deserves to be in the top 100 even. It's, it is landmark in terms of uh, relevance. And yeah, but big thumbs up on the follow-through, because it is an excellent match. It really is a great match, yeah. And if you haven't seen and, it, go find it. It's on YouTube, I'm sure. <laughs> I, and if not, I will say New Japan World, totally worth the price. Very easy. The, uh, the app is a free download on a smart TV, a phone, uh, tablet, laptop, computer, or... Uh, Amazon, Roku, any of that. Any of those places, you can get a free New Japan app. And then once you've got the app, it's just it's $9.99. It's the same deal as, as the WWE Network. And um, as a result of uh, getting uh, New Japan World, I also got to see uh, all the follow-up follow, follow stuff. And New Year's Dash, 
which is the uh, customary day after show uh, from Corican Hall. And we find out that this will not be the last time we see Chris Jericho in New Japan because immediately Jericho sort of responds to all the criticism that he was receiving from Naito for uh, sort of stealing his thunder, stealing that main event status, the solo main event, by turning it into a double main event. And Jericho kind of responds to Naito. But that is uh, news we will cover as it begins to develop further. We got to finish this night. We got to finish this night, Perry, from the Tokyo Dome, because we have the other half of this double main event to talk about. That is right. That means that the IWGP Heavyweight Championship is up for grabs. Tetsuya Naito! Tranquilo! <laughs> uh, he's, he's coming after the Rainmaker, Kashka Okada's coveted title. And uh, this was a superb wrestling match. Like I did want I wanted to wait till we kind of got into this, but I will say... This is a better wrestling match. Uh, Jericho Omega, better fight. But goddamn, is this a great wrestling match between uh, Naito and Okada? This is. These are guys who, uh, who, who, who are the embodiment of New Japan Pro Wrestling. These were young boys, young lions. These guys had very, very different experiences with their excursions their trips in international wrestling. Uh, Okada terribly, terribly misused by uh, TNA wrestling. Um, meanwhile, Naito made a superstar of himself in Mexico. But Okada, undeniably the, the, the king, the king of Japan and the king of New Japan pro wrestling as your longest reigning IWGP heavyweight champion, seemingly unbeatable unstoppable this man is at the top of his own game and he is at a top of the pro wrestling game especially uh, on the islands of japan and as the champion okada looks like a million dollars coming out with gato as always gato at his side his little barking dog and uh, and that's uh that's uh, always fun to see okada in long pants as opposed to uh, sort of like the uh, uh, the hot pants or the like the Goldberg WWE trunks. <laughs> Don't um, call them instead, hot pants. <laughs> it, instead, wearing long pants. And I tell you what, the long pants are excellent. It, it's uh, a better canvas. We get to see that sort of royal color scheme uh, of Okada's gear. Um, I, I hope he wrestles in the pants from now on because it was a really, really sweet look. Now... That's, of course, countered by Naito's very sweet, suave, um, sort of off-kilter tuxedo look, you know, with the anime-inspired mask. I don't know what specifically that's from. Do you know what that's from? Uh, no. <laughs> no, but it's definitely some sort of, like, fucked-up rabbit. <laughs> like, I don't, um, some weird mask that he's got on. One of the neatest thing to me uh, about Naito, about his graphics and everything, is like it's like one part Rob Zombie, one part Rat Think. Like there's something that's neat about all the graphics and everything that surround Naito. Very uh, sort of Mexicali inspired. Something very very cool 
about Spanish being incorporated into Naito. I've always and, found that, that that's I'm glad you mentioned that. That's that's something I've always liked about Naito is the infusion of uh, Spanish culture, uh, the Mexican wrestling stuff with the traditional Japan stuff. It works really, really well. It gives him a bit more, so he's a standout. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like it, it really makes him stand out because he's not a Mexican wrestler making an impact in Japan. Right. He's a Japanese wrestler in Japan. Trained by Mexican wrestlers. Mexican flair. Like, yeah. And that, that is that's truly, truly different. Uh yeah, so you said this the, the the match is incredible here. It is a back and forth battle. The crowd is split. No, they, they it, it's it is 60-40 at least, Naito. These people want to see sure Naito win. Right. They're a little bit more behind Naito, yeah. but they are split. Um Naito is hitting huge moves. He talked you know, I said earlier about leaving it all on the field and fighting like there's no tomorrow. That's what Naito's doing here. A top rope reverse Frankensteiner? I mean, really? On a guy who's got like six inches on you? Like, that's pretty intense. Uh, there's a really cool exchange uh, with Naito doing like a cartwheel Pele kick to Okada. Yeah. Okada immediately responds with a standing double drop kick. What? Yeah. This actually, I watched. Uh, I watched both these. Uh, I watched the double main event while I was waiting for my flight in Atlanta Airport uh, to Los Angeles. So I actually got to watch both of these with the regular English commentary. They were they were just on some random Facebook channel that I, I happened on. Um, so I, I watched both these matches, and I had like a four hour layover, so I had time. And these are both like 30, 40 minute long, long matches, and like. I watched it on my phone. So I don't what know. You're saying it, so what you're really saying is you still had time for Cinnabon. Exactly. Yes, uh, I got to do the Cinnabon. Um, but the thing is, like, I'm I'm watching these matches on my phone, and like, there's people around me, obviously, also waiting for their connections, whatever. And like, every five minutes, I'm like, oh my god, like, audibly, like, react <laughs> to something, or my mouth will drop because these both these matches. They they really they really had some really great spots. This this match is just tooth and nail fight to the finish though. Oh for sure! Like at one point, Okada hits uh, a huge German suplex on Naito, then the Rainmaker, mm-hmm. but Naito kicks out, and like that was a that was a sure finish. Like to me, I was like, "That's the finish. That's the finish." And it wasn't. <laughs> right. It wasn't like. And not in that like one, two, oh, in way in which has really started to become played out with the false finishes. This was one where it's like, no, no, that was fi- it is over. You stop it. <laughs> Red shoes, and you made a mistake. Exactly, but yep, there it goes. It keeps going. It does. It goes to the point where both men were standing there like exhausted, um, and if they weren't, they damn sure are good actors. Right. Because they're standing there at the center of the ring with just this exhausted slugfest going on. And then Naito finally grounds Okada with a vicious slap. That You know, after all these, like, punches, these worked punches, even if they're kind of stiff, they're worked The, the little strong style yeah. But then uh, Okada takes that slap from Naito and hits the ground. I was really like holding my own jaw at that point. 
for the rest of the match, and I'm like, why are you holding your jaw? Yeah, it takes, um, he takes that slap, and he doubles over in the ring, and it's like, that's it. He killed Okada. Okada's dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then Naito attempts uh, his finisher, Destino, uh, but it is countered by Okada with the Rainmaker. And then, of course, the opposite happens. Okada going for the Rainmaker instead gets uh, countered by Destino. And uh, this is a near fall, another near fall, uh, this one for Naito. Naito then does hit the Destino and goes for a second Destino because that's another thing that's interesting here in New Japan is it's not, all right, I do the finish, near fall, do the finish again, pinfall. It's like, no, I do it, and then I automatically do the move a second time. Right. Because... I'm now, if, you know, hashtag if wrestling were real, I've now learned it's going to take two finishers. Right. Because you're not just, you know, you're not just regular Okada. You're powered, you know, you're power up. Power up. Okada. Right. And, uh, of course, as a result, you get the second uh, Destino, but Okada counters it and hits a spinning, jumping, tombstone and then a big rainmaker for the win some devastating uh finishers and like i said th- this match could have ended 20 times before that point and it would have been totally fine but man it just it kept going and it, it was it was great it was a really great main event obviously they were like no no jericho and omega are not taking our spotlight away from us like it's still our main event and uh, we're still closing the show down, and they killed it, man. They did great. It was totally their main event, their main event in every way, and that's not to take anything away from Alpha versus Omega. Jericho, this was a groundbreaking appearance. This was a history-making matchup. Uh, it will put Wrestle Kingdom 12 down in the history books. Um, like I said, there was no shying away from WWE. Even in the promo package, where they showed the build-up to the match. WWE was written on the screen in English right there uh, next to Jericho's head while the rest of him was surrounded by Japanese characters. So, you know, that's monumental too because as we said on this show uh, in the past couple weeks, it seemed like Jericho was a one-man WWE invasion or a one-man Gaijin uh, excursion to New Japan, but I guess Vince McMahon and Jericho and New Japan were sort of all all of them cool with. No, here is Jericho representing WWE, right? Not like an invasion, but more like special attraction or whatever. You know, it's like bringing Dusty Rhodes up from Championship Wrestling from Florida to take on. WWWF champion superstar Billy Graham in Madison Square Garden. Right. And so that's cool. So that match, like I said, history-making, groundbreaking, but it did not take away from Okada and Naito. Amazing main event. Naito, I can't believe, comes up short, but he does. I told you. (laughs) Okada. Hey, Hey, you're right. I don't know that we called it. I don't think we called it on the air. I did. Okay, well, I didn't. But, dear listeners, I was firmly, firmly in Naito camp here. 
I thought Naito, and I'm a bigger fan of Okada than I am Naito, but I thought this was the moment. This was the moment Okada goes down, and who better than Naito to take the belt from him? And uh, But no, it was not to be. This was an amazing match. This was an amazing night. Fans, Wrestle Kingdom 12, we hope that you've enjoyed our discussion, our coverage of this show. It was a long show. This has been a long discussion between Perry and I, but every minute of it was worth it. Every minute was breathtaking. A lot of amazing talent on this show, a lot of amazing matchups, and a lot of amazing matches. The title changes were huge. Appearances, the special showcase appearances, all the fun of the uh, the New Japan Rumble. Uh, I can't say enough about it. New Japan is the hottest thing in wrestling today. It's the biggest, hottest thing and the hottest, biggest thing uh, in terms of pro wrestling. Doesn't mean it's the biggest moneymaker, but it is the hottest thing. It is the hottest pro wrestling property today, and Wrestle Kingdom 12 showed us exactly why. That's right. And also, no one's taken that belt from Okada except for Omega. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. <laughs> if I made that point clear on the show, basically... Round, round three, or Omega Okada Part 3, is when Omega finally takes that belt from Okada. So, yeah. with that in mind, uh, that was our coverage. That was our take of Wrestle Kingdom 12. Tell us what you think. How are you going to tell us? Well, there's a lot of ways you can tell us. You can find us on Twitter at Refn Show Podcast, R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Find us on Facebook, like and share. Gmail, once again, the whole Refn Show at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at the whole Refn Show, T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W. Share your pictures with us and look at all of ours. We tell stories. We give you news updates, and we have a whole lot of fun on Instagram. We do have a whole lot of fun on Instagram. And uh, as always, I have fun being myself. My name is Perry Smith. I have fun being myself, too, I reckon. My name is Darren Beasley. And we'll see you later this week on another exciting episode of the only wrestling podcast called Right Down the Middle. The whole ref and show. Bye bye, folks. Join the rumble.